The following program is not appropriate for young humans or the easily offended. We trust your judgment. Canadian Pirate Cast has no sponsors and is filmed before a live studio audience. Our backs are sore from sailing all day. Be a good idea for this is that if we if we just we have to stay silent for a bit so we can even out the audio for the entire podcast but then we just kind of start talking off on some random thing and that way we always have just like some kind of weird phasing as if we were having a natural conversation and we weren't waiting for a pause amount of audio to stabilize start mid-sentence yes just start mid-sentence that way it sounds like a podcast where it's like oh we don't actually have to do this we have easy audio um, how are you doing today, Gummy Bear? I'm good, thank you. It's a sunny, beautiful day. It is. It was a fantastic day to bike over. It's, uh, it's, you know what, I have that thing, though, because I'm always thinking ahead about this stuff, is I'm like, if it doesn't rain more, though, we're going to have more of a problem with forest fires and shit again, and that'll be a thing. We um, had some good rain. Yeah, we have. Um, but it's kind of like, I think, uh, I always think back to that summer a couple years ago where it was, like, raining a lot and tourists were bitching about it. But we'd also had like record fire or low uh, forest fires that summer too, and it was um, like nobody had to. It was no, it wasn't so smoky at any point that summer that every had to wear a mask going outside or keep your windows closed all the time. So I just think it's uh, that's a, a pet peeve of mine in the valley, where again I appreciate tourism for the business it brings in, but I don't like it when people complain about the rain because it's like it reduces forest fires. We're in a rainforest; it's gonna rain. Well, it needs to rain. It's important that it rains. Um, it's also good for mushroom season, which is a side thing, but um, because I just like fresh mushrooms. That's my favorite thing coming down to the valley. Oh, I know, Stubby. I agree. Tippy, and she needs to shush. She does, but she was... Um, I know, sorry. I was like, I don't know why you cats. I just call them the wrong name sometimes. <laughs> so, this is Canadian Pirate Cast. I am your host, Captain Beckham Kit. And I'm Quartermaster Gummy Bear. Coming to you on... I thought, Oh, we should start saying the date, too. I forgot about that as a thing. Just as a thing for, like, when... But we, we don't release on the same day we record. But it matters... But it just matters when it was recorded, right? At that time. Who I knows? Suppose. What kind of crazy yes. shit could happen? It's... What day is it today? I don't actually know. It's <laughs> May 21st, 2021. Thank you. Okay. That seems like a good starter. See a funny thing, I have a whole thing. I have like my notes here. I have the show notes for like how to go down things and I'm just like silly and I'm like, uh like you just totally lose like getting like mind fucked. Put your serious hat on. My serious hat. Got some hat? serious things to talk about today. We do have serious things to talk about. I don't know why this happens, and maybe this is my reaction because like when there's serious stuff, my reaction first reaction is to make a joke and make try to like get a lot laugh somewhere and even for myself and I know it's a coping mechanism. It's mm-hmm. how I, I was just gonna say. You no, know, it's a coping mechanism. It's how I deal with the universe. It's not always great, but it comes in handy sometimes. So I'm, I'm definitely projecting right now. We would uh, we want to start opening though with um, a new segment for every main episode of um, CPC is Corrections Corner because we like gotta we'll, have it. Gotta have it. It's because uh, obviously we fuck up and we're just like obviously we were we're recording this uh, May. Oh, today, May 7th, whatever the day is. <laughs> You're two weeks behind there. May 21st. 
Yeah. Okay, so May 21st. And then we noticed post-production that, um, like, oh my god, no, no, I like having Studio Kitties. It adds flavor. Um, <laughs> but it's makes me think that, uh, like, we make like, made mistakes, we want to correct ourselves, and, like, sometimes it happens, like, later that day when I'm editing, and I'm like, fuck, I need to fix this. And you'll see that in our last episode, Late Train Review, because we had to fix a, a joke we made. Um, why am I rambling about this? So, the first thing about Corrections Corner I want to talk about is in our very first episode, I was struggling to remember the Idle No More movement, which is very important. That was a major movement pushing forward for Indigenous rights and cultural preservation, and that'll be something to get into more in a different episode, so to speak. But uh, that was just what I was fumbling with at that time. The second thing I'd like to correct is from the set last episode. Uh, Canada, Canadian was not invented by an ice cream, or, or sorry. <laughs> <laughs> a Canadian was not invented by ice cream, is what I meant to say. No, so I, still just... I know I did it because I was like, I just had to finish it. So in the last episode, <laughs> I was talking about how Canadian invented ice cream and I totally misread the thing I'd read on the internet. It was a Canadian that first started mass producing ice cream on a business scale. Um, his name was Thomas Webb. He was, yeah, so he was the first Canadian to sell it commercially. Um, so, and eh, not as cool of a thing. Um, for people that do care, uh, we're going to link this on the page because I found an interesting page on the origin of ice cream. It's, uh, debated, but it's agreed that it comes from the East, essentially. Um, people say Marco Polo brought it back to China, but apparently that's, like, debated. So, um... That's just, I think it's, ice cream has always been along before refrigerators and freezers. I think that's the most impressive thing about humanity. We came together and created cream sugar and eggs. And cream. <laughs> I don't know how ice cream is made. <laughs> I made it. And there's probably ice? Probably. Not enough bay leaf, I though. Thought, not enough bay leaf. That's, that's the problem with Asian ice cream. It did not have enough bay leaf. <laughs> um okay so the first main and that was the sorry that was the main things for corrections corner though i need to figure oh there's one last thing this is actually really important to me in the last episode too um and after this i'll give gummy bear a chance to speak and i'll stop hogging the, hogging the limelight but in the last episode when it was gummy bear brought up uh there's been more asian hate or whatever and i just kind of was like said it was like oh well people that jump on the bandwagon are stupid hate bandwagon are stupid and i obviously i don't think that i would just kind of I, I just kind of retract i don't completely agree with that statement so i'd like to retract that i like to think i'd like to say that anyone that has any kind of bigotry or hate is not automatically stupid um you may have your reasons for it but so as a counter to that i'd like to say if you hate something please feel free to contact me Contact us at CanadianPirateCast at gmail.com and tell me your reasons for why you think hate is your answer and I'll tell you why I think love is the answer. And, uh, because I, I, I believe more than anything we should, love, we should all love our fellow humans. And there's obviously exceptions to every rule. There's obviously going to be somebody you got to go over to Germany and pop on the nose of the piece of newspaper and be like, no! Stop that! No more expansion. But... Most of the time, I feel like most hate or any kind of bigotry comes from a misunderstanding or a lack of information, which is one thing we want to do with this podcast, because I think that through more information spreading, there's less fear, and then 
If you're not scared, then you can just love your fellow human. <laughs> That's my spiel on that. Gummy bear. Lovely. Do I have corrections to make? I don't know. I, I wrote down mine. I haven't... I, I wasn't governing what you said because I don't believe in that. I'm still against Bill C-10. So. Everything I've said is perfect and... Um, Sounds about right. That's why I have you on the podcast. I have no corrections to make today. I, Captain Kidd, may be the captain, but I'm very fallible. But, see, the thing is with amalgamation, amalgamous forms of jelly and fluff are pure. Therefore, right about everything. So pure. So pure, gummy bear. There's nothing more pure than horse hoofs and sugar. <laughs> <laughs> um, coming soon to a Facebook near you, gummy bear's profile, <laughs> full with pictures. <laughs> I forgot that. I forgot that. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot about that joke we made that I can't say. But, um, sorry, that's I'm getting off topic. So the first thing we want to open with is uh, times before now with history, friends. This is is it so funny to watch you with that thing over your mouth like that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't want my breathing. That's fair. I know. It's just really weird looking at you like that now. It just looks like you're like huffing paint, huffing glue. <laughs> like, I don't need to be like in the background while you're talking going <sighs> like fucking Darth Vader or some shit. Why are you breathing so loudly? I don't know, man. I, don't, I think I don't even hear it. I don't know what you're I talking do. about. I do. I hear it when I listen back and I don't want other people to hear it. I only hear the voices it in my head. It sounds bad. See, I only hear the voices in my head. So maybe that's it. I don't hear my breathing because it's drowned out by Bill and Theo. The voices in my head. So, we want to open up with our first segment, Times Before Now, with History Friends. Da -da -da. Gotta get a theme song for history. So, <laughs> I want to talk about the Oka Crisis. Because this is something I learned about in my college history class this year. And it blew my mind. I kind of... I'm so surprised that this happened like a year before we were born and it was like I no mention of it in high school at all and it kind of it spurred so like there's obviously a debate in how where everything what led to the I don't know more movement but I feel like this was a big part of it because this was like kind of a step forward in that kind of um in that area um, but as a as an unfortunate thing, this doesn't even end in a great way too, because even the Oka crisis is like somewhat resolved. Um, we'll get to that in a second here. By a second, I mean ten minutes. So, the Oka crisis, also known as the now, okay, I might be butchering this. I have notes here on how I think I'm supposed to say this, but let I just might totally fuck this up. Um. But the uh, Kane Satake. Kane Satake. Yeah, sorry. I'm just trying to get my brain ready for saying that because it comes up a lot. Is it a name? It's the um, name of the band, I think. Oh. So here, uh, like, uh, I'll get into this here in a second. Sorry, I'm just trying to say. The Oka Crisis or oh, the yes. Kane Satake Resistance or the Mohawk at Kane Satake. Because okay. I'll get into that. So... This essentially overall was a, what this entirely was, is a 78-day standoff 
between the 11th of July and the 26th of September in 1990 between Mohawk protesters, Quebec police, and the RCMP and the Canadian Army. It took place in Kanesatake. It was a Mohawk settlement near the north shore of Montreal. The crisis was sparked by the proposed expansion of a golf course and development of townhouses on disputed land in Kanesatake, in Kanesatake that included a Mohawk burial ground. Uh, people died, like more, a lot of people were injured. Um, a few people died. Um, and eventually the army was called in and the protest ended. Um, and land, the land was then purchased by the federal government. And it also kind of led to this, and I'm going to link the, it'll be in the news piece we link in this, um, in this episode uh, description. But it, there's an iconic picture that is just like intense of a, a stare down between a soldier and a uh, protester. And the soldier was Patrick Clowder and uh, Brad LaRoche, a protester, who had a, he had like a cool like alias name that he was using at that time. But this is all in the news article. And he, it, yeah, they just have this iconic picture of them kind of standing off face to face, like right in each other's face. And it was kind of, this is like a big deal for Canada. Because again, I think I mentioned in our last history segment that we've had a few like crisis things in our country but not nearly as many as like way more populated countries or even like south of our borders so and the problem through that all of this is that so the land has been purchased by the uh, federal government but though the land has not been established has, it hasn't been established as a reserve and has there's been like no organized setup to transfer that land to the mohawk of the kanasaka so it's kind of like in this limbo where it was like kind of a big deal. And this is like 30 fucking years ago. Sorry, this is 30 years ago now. So, and it's still like, it's just kind of in this limbo where the government hasn't directly given the land back to the Mohawks. Um, but there's also been no further expansion on this. And it's kind of, so and that was like kind of just an overview of the entire thing. And I have notes here for like the kind of the key points and like kind of how this even came to be. So, historically, this shouldn't be surprising, but the Mohawks have always been fighting for their land, and they've never been titled as a reserve. So they were, yeah, they've never been titled as a reserve, so they were always outside the Indian Act. And it's, as a quick thing I want to say about the Indian Act is that it's, it's, it's essentially very obvious, it's, I'm oh, sorry, it was always, it was always a bad thing, and... Obviously, it's more known now how bad of a thing it was, um, but it's complicated more. It's but the problem is now that there's been so much cultural crap wrapped in it, with status complexities and abolishing it would be more complicated than leaving it in place, which is why we still have it, and that's not a good thing. But I think that it's just worth mentioning because it's like it started out as a bad thing, and now it's a bad thing that's so complicated to remove it might cause more damage than leaving it in place now, um, which is a debated thing, but I just think it's worth pointing out. 
So the Mohawks were though outside of this like this bad act, so they kind of they got no benefits of any of the stuff, but kind of all the butt crap, the butt butt end um, stuff uh, that happens to anybody, any minority group in this situation. So when the golf course was originally built, it was already very close to Mohawk burial ground. This was in 1961, um, but the Mohawk claim was rejected anyway, um, and the course was built. So in 1989, May, sorry, okay, sorry, in the 1989 of May, the Oka now, or the mayor, oh, sorry, the mayor, oh, fuck, no, it's not May. Okay, here, I wrote the word mayor, and I wrote it terribly, so I thought it said May. <laughs> My very crappy show notes. So in 1984, the mayor of Oka announced the expansion of expansion of the golf course into the ancestral cemetery and because the Kanesataka band land claim was rejected they were not consulted can i just see how that's spelled sure i have the proper thing right there that's like the uh that was what i found for how to say it as well and that's what i'm struggling with it's the sata and then k Please, God, someone email me and correct me, because I know I'm butchering. I just feel like I'm butchering that. Um, and uh, anyway, though, so, yeah, but because, like I said, because they had uh, no ties to the Indian Act, they were kind of, they just got no, they weren't considered anything, and they were um, basically not consulted or anything about this. Um, but they obviously knew about it, so they protested it for months up until scheduled construction construction in March 1990. It started with a blockade. So to stop development, the Kanesateke and Mohawk from other reserves, um, the Kanewake and Ekewesane, other Mohawk groups and activists, um, known as the War Mohawk Warrior Society, constructed a barricade on a local road, blocking access, and then manned and guarded it. They were given two injunctions to remove the roadblock, which were ignored. The Oka Town Council then got the Quebec cops involved. Um, and again, I don't, I'm, I feel like this is, I don't know this completely, but yeah, so I guess Quebec has its own police force. They probably don't, they don't have the RCMP, or uh, maybe they have their own police force on top of the RCMP. Same as Ontario. Okay, and so and maybe because it's just high, how highly populated they are, because, like, we're in a, like, you know, the parts I've lived in in BC have only been medium to low size populated, right? And then, like, Vancouver, so, yeah, maybe that makes sense, because of the size of these places. But either way, though, so it was specifically the Quebec cops at first. They have a, okay, and they have a, they had a different name, but I'm worse at French than I am at saying these other names, so we're not going to try to get into that. They're Quebec cops. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so it started with the Quebec cops using concussion grenades and tear gas to create confusion, which backfired as the wind picked up and blew tear gas back at them. <laughs> So the Quebec cops got tear gas. Tear gas is just never a good idea. No, it's not. But it's it's interesting that they opened up a tear gas and then backfired. And I just and I wrote LOL beside that. That's that's hilarious. It is. Now here's the thing. It's gonna have a 
turn here because that's where that's where it kind of there was a turning point you would say so sad in this confusion sadly corporal marcel lemay was killed in brief gunfire uh in a short gunfire now the problem is that nobody knows who fired the first shot or who shot the corporal so you don't know who started it or who caused like the death um but this obviously made shit escalate Mm-hmm. So the Quebec cops eventually created their own barricades, and then the main road between Montreal and South Montreal's south suburbs and the island of Montreal were blocked off. This pissed off people in surrounding areas, um, and Indigenous support is like this pissed off some people in some areas, and then Indigenous support for the Mohawks increased in other areas. But it kind of created like a tension in relationships between indigenous and non-indigenous people as this escalated um, culturally uh, in Canada. And many people blame the cops for how things escalated. But the, um, the problems that the Mohawks as things kind of went on, they were increasing their demands to full sovereignty. And... So it kind of it kind of seems that I'm not and I'm not trying to crap on anybody here. This is all a bad thing, but it just seems like as the longer it went on, everybody got more intense. So it stopped from on the cop side, they were becoming more aggressive with everything. And again, I'm not. They shouldn't have started with tear gas and concussion grenades. No, that's, that's ridiculous. That's not the answer. Like obviously, um, but then the Mohawks were increasing their demands, and that's not gonna. That would obviously like it's gonna be. If you start asking for more stuff, it's not just gonna be less likely to get that. Like that's kind of a problem when things escalate, right? Like you don't come across more resources and ability to get through bureaucratic bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not saying I'm not saying poopoo on the Mohawks. I'm just saying though that that doesn't work historically either, though. But it was just everything was escalating. Like mm-hmm. you just everything was kind of getting more intense on both sides because you know it's like it's a pissing contest eventually. Or you do this, okay, well, fuck you, I you do this. And sorry, I'm not trying to be really crass with that, but this is kind of how humans are. I think is that when we escalate, we start wanting more shit and more and wanting more like stuff like that. When it's like when we just have a reasonable conversation and have a compromise, where everybody's kind of unhappy, um, which is kind of just I don't know. Sorry. I, I think that in, indigenous people would argue with you and that trying to have a reasonable conversation just hasn't worked. No, they're right about that. Sorry, and I sorry, and I misspoke with that. I shouldn't just say that because obviously no change happens before that. But I guess what I'm sorry, I guess I'm just sitting at I guess I'm sitting I'm just I guess I'm saying that playing it as a devil's advocate advocate thing where it's something where people can throw at and be like, Oh, well they started asking for more shit. And I'm just more trying to say that, like, like things were escalating and that kind of just how people are by nature. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So maybe that'd be a better way to say it is I'm not even poo-pooing on that. I'm just saying that anybody that would kind of say, like, okay, well, they did this after and they started asking for full sovereignty, which is, like, how are they going to get that? Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of that like... Would be very complicated at this point. That's what I'm kind of saying, right? So I'm kind of like, they were, like, I'm not saying that they didn't have reasonable demands, but asking for a flaw of sovereignty that's kind of like you know without how what it takes to make them to do that um so, but this is all a bad situation and so i'm just all i'm saying yeah that's all i was trying to say about that i'm not saying like obviously there needs to be action and that's where we get into the i don't know i don't know more movement where because they were trying that's the whole point of that act, that thing and i'm mm-hmm. i'm full support of that obviously um sorry i'm just also trying to lay out like the 
devil's advocate stuff for this too, but be like, it's just kind of how people are. So I'm not blaming the Mohawks for like increasing their demands, but I'm just being mm -hmm. realistic in that like it was going to be less likely to happen the more they increase their demands. Does that make sense? I guess. Yeah. Um, going forward though, um, eventually the army got called in, uh, the barricades came down, and the standoff remains. And so this is something to be very unambiguous about, or any kind of thing. The soldiers came in by force. They used non-lethal methods. Uh, 22 soldiers were injured. But 75 Mohawks were also injured, ranging from age 5 to 72. So I think it's oh. safe to say that the 22 soldiers were all just, like, able-bodied... Able-bodied soldiers that... Like, again, we're apparently that, like, again, as elderly and children getting hit, that's kind of like, fuck off, man. It's like, too much. Exactly. That's what I'm saying, though. So I'm not saying, like, no part of me is siding with the cops and anything. I'm just being, like, about mm -hmm. how anything is going to happen. But that's, like, so, yeah, like, this is all, like, one side escalated way more intensely than the other side, and that's not fucking good. Because that's, like, that these are from the government. These are, these people yeah. are from, these. this is the government doing this, right? And that's kind of like, okay, well, and this counters where, again... When I talked about, started just doubling back to our first episode about good government or peace and order as being part of Canada's ideals, this is obviously not a case in that, where this is, you know what I mean? This is like, goes against all of those three things. The government's being shitty and there was not peace and order throughout this. Yeah. But things got right, things kind of move forward after and we'll touch on that in the end here, so to speak. Sorry, but this is, not to, I didn't mean to tangent there. <laughs> um... So, part of the issue why this kind of, this ended up becoming almost like a standoff too, because the Oka were waiting, or sorry, no, sorry, the Mohawks were waiting for the cabinet, or the prime minister to get back from, okay, they called it the summer recess, but in my notes I called it the summer break, um, and they agreed to some of the Mohawks' demands. Um, and essentially, so it was kind of like a thing where they were trying to hold off the roads a bit longer until the politicians got back to kind of... Do you right. think, because I think, like, not, I think just nothing was happening politically, this is part of the reason why the stand-up was worse. Which is kind of a shitty thing, too, because, again, it's like, okay, like, I know that you need a break, but, like, you know, shit's happening right now. Maybe you guys cut summer break a couple weeks early and figure this shit out, because, like... That's kind of your job. That's kind of the point of your job. So, let's be clear. The government was very, very shitty through this entire thing. Like, this... Mm -hmm. I want to be very clear about that. I'm not pro-government in this case at all. <laughs> Um, so when they agreed some of the demands, the resistance stepped down. Um, this is the saddest part about the story, actually, because this is like when things are de-escalating, the, um, the Mohawks put down their weapons and like came out and they sent out, I think like for the most part, women and children were sent out first. Um, but it was in a big group of people and it wasn't in an orderly way that the government was expecting. So this is the saddest part about the story. At least in my opinion, but um, the, as the resistance stepped down, or sorry, the resistance stepped down, but in the confusion, a soldier stabbed a 14-year-old who had been oh carrying her little sister. And uh, several of the uh, warriors were detained by the military. Five were convicted, but only one served time. And for this entire situation, the public response was mixed. Uh, local Quebecers in the area were angered by the blockade, or by the blockage. Uh, local residents 
Um, oh yeah, here, this is my notes. Local residents, oh no, so they must have left before this, but local residents, uh, mostly who are women and children, um, and elderly, were stoned, had their cars stoned as they were trying to leave the Kahawake the Reserve. So like as other Mohawk groups tried to come in and support this one group that was kind of being oppressed and the women, women children, and elderly are trying to leave the danger zone. They're getting stoned by local people that are just pissy that they like that are again, it's stopping a flow line for like, God, what's the word what I'm thinking of a uh, supply chain. Mm -hmm. It's stopping up a supply chain, but it's, that pisses me off. That that does again. Feel free to respond to me and why you think it's okay to stone char cars of women, children, and elderly people leaving a reserve. And I'll respond with you why I think love is the answer and not stoning cars. But I don't agree with that. Obviously, like that's they have less to do with it than most people because they're they're not being involved with anything. They are just they're trying to get out of the battle zone. And that's mm -hmm. that. This is all the this is all the grosser stuff. Yeah, um, sure. But then. As one other side of it, a lot of people also sympathize with the protesters. Um, this eventually led to the creation of the Royal Commission on Aboriginals People. And basically, so if you read what they do, it's a very long and boring definition. But essentially, because as all Canada politics are, every Canadian politic committee ever has a very long and boring definition that can be simplified in one sentence. Basically, they deal with relief relations between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people. Mm -hmm. yeah but like if you read the, what the government says about it that's four sentences long with like it's like again they overdefine everything but it's like essentially that's that's what this does that's what this commission does and that so that's like the sum of the oka crisis and i mentioned at the beginning too that again this has not really been resolved the government bought the land but they haven't given it back to the mohawks they're just kind of holding it and it's like in limbo so nobody can develop on it, but it's not being given back to them either. And that was like 30 years ago. Wow. And this is after the Idle No More movement and all that. Um, with the, and the, uh, the calls to action in 2016. And I'm curious what anyone else thinks about this. Like anybody listening to the podcast that like, and again, I know that we keep plugging for, please like reach out to us, but I'm just curious what other people think about that because I try, I'm trying to, I try to look at it just objectively back in history about like, here's what happened. Here's what escalated things. This might've caused more escalation. This might've made things worse. Like the violence, like the, obviously the violence and escalation of force definitely escalated things too. Um, then Oka increasing their demands for things too, probably escalated things. Like it was a bit of a back and forth tit for tat thing. And it was like, it was not all even either. I'm not saying it was an even tit for tat. Um, I'm just trying to look at it objectively being like, this might have caused this, and this may have been this. And I'm not trying... Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious what anyone else thinks about that. And I'm not trying to be provocative. And, like, obviously in this... To be very clear about my bias in this case, I sympathize with the Mohawks in this case, too. Like, I think that I clearly... I very clearly think that they... Obviously, like, they are... They have... They obviously have dealt with the impression and the taking of like their land and their culture for like a long time, and I don't know specifically yeah. the history of that. So I'm speaking broadly about indigenous people, and I don't mean to do that, but that's kind of like that's what's that's what we know is the general case, and they um, and obviously I feel like for the expansion of a golf course and some condos, 
is a pretty petty reason. I feel like that could have been, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that was, that didn't really have to happen. Like, obviously, it was for the thing for community development. But I don't think anybody was, like, even today, you have, when you have debates of pipelines being put in different areas, like, of the country, and it has to cut through indigenous um, territory, you hear more um, debate between there are even people on both sides that are kind of like, no, we want the pipelines, we want to bring jobs in, then you have other people that want to protect the land on both sides of indigenous and non-indigenous people. So I think it's interesting in how like nowadays with these things, it seems to be like there's a bit of that, but in this, like a bit of, a little bit of everything on all sides. But in this particular case, like the only people that were unhappy about this were people that had to deal with the traffic. Nobody was like, I didn't get my golf course extension. Like, nobody's siding with the city. Anyone that's mad is mad about the traffic blockage. And that's about what the point. That's what I mean, though. And it's kind of like... It's a funny... Okay, this is a thing, too. I want to say this as, like, a thing for larger movements. Because this is an argument I don't like, but I have to admit that it's effective. Is that... There was a thing in Courtney, I think, a few a while ago, or like a year, a couple years ago, where there was a group of protesters for global warming or whatever the hell it was. Um, about a year and a half. Year and a half ago, so they filled up the streets and protest and like a thing, and they blocked traffic and all that. And one of the things you heard about it, back and forth, was that conservatives threw the point out. He'd be like, they blocked traffic and rate and like wasting days of emissions with that, and probably caused more global warming that day. And then you have people that were in the protest being like, the only way to bring attention to it is to call it, is to like, is to bring it, is to bring it, or to do something extreme like that. That was a, that was something that was the global warming and the thing that happened locally. I don't believe were related. I'm pretty sure the blockade on the highway about a year and a half ago, um, I had to do with um, an indigenous matter. I'm not That's talking about that. I'm not talking about the same. Th- I'm not. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about the thing in town, that the roadblock, the thing of people and the walking through the streets in town. I didn't know. I don't know anything about I don't that either. Remember what that is. So I don't, it was like it was. I don't, it was like it was before COVID, and maybe I'm misremembering it. I just remember. So here's why I bring it up because I was talking to a guy I was volunteering with, and this was his argument for that. And this was like. Oh, like the climate change protest? Yeah, the climate change protest. Where everyone drove to go walk in the street and then drove back home? I don't know, maybe. Like I said, so that was... So that's... Yeah, the climate change that's protest. That's what That's what I'm talking about. No, here, like, I'm... I'm okay, so these aren't related because they're... It's an indigenous that's matter. I was confused. I think it was a little bit longer ago, though, for the climate change. Maybe, like, two summers ago? Okay, either way. It doesn't matter when it is. My point is... That's... What I just I just got confused okay. about what exactly you were cool. talking about. Obviously, I thought you were talking about something completely different. That's, that's fine. That's fine. We're just moving fast that now. So, we're clear now. It's <laughs> yeah. the climate change thing. And this is... Here's my... It's the logic behind this. Is that the logic that... This hippie guy had, or this extreme left guy had, is that the only way to draw attention to matters is to be extreme sometimes. And it's like that answer is right and wrong, I see it as. is because, like, he's right, where, like, in cases like this with the Oka crisis, like, this wouldn't have... If the Mohawks had just laid down and let their land be treaded on, nothing else would have happened. Like, nothing would have moved forward for this, and it would have... It'd still be kind of like a, um, it's, you know, it would just keep happening. Like, until the I don't know more movement spurred up, people, they just would have kept getting, like, walked, and the government would just yeah. not give a shit. So, there's an argument to be made that, yeah, sometimes you have to have a big movement like that to get things changing. Uh, but then the uh, counter argument to that, too, and this is what I argument I had for this at the time when his response was, 
yeah, but like blocking traffic was the only way to get people aware of global warming. My argument for that though is that sometimes though, if you're like, if you're an asshole about something, like if you're an asshole about a cause, that just makes people think that you're an a you're a dick and nobody wants to listen to you. And I'm being crass because that's just how people see you. Is that when someone clangs a bell in your face and tries to condescend to you or like make a thing about why they're right and you're wrong, nobody wants to change their mind because that. It's just through like a common discussion. So I I was only saying that like these movements that the indigenous community have made have like i gotta i gotta say that for the movements they've made it seems like they haven't been any kind of condescending bullshit or any kind of thing that makes you like think like that you know what i mean so i guess there's like there's there's ways that these movements are being done in a way where it's kind of like and maybe it's because also the historical oppression as well but I guess as they think that these movements seem to be more effective than the than like something like the climate change one, um, and that's all I was trying to say too is that these movements seem to be more well thought out, and there's like a mix of it's a mix of playing by the bureaucratic bullshit rules by the government, yeah. but then also but also taking a stand and be like no we're not taking this anymore. So I just want to say props to these movements for doing a bit of both, essentially. And sorry, that was, and that's just all, that was all, none of that, that's all just me and my opinions on stuff. Um, speaking as a non-Indigenous person who's, like, comes from a family of, like, immigrants, so. <laughs> um, gummy bear. Thoughts, feelings, opinions. God, let me stop talk. Stop, stop me from talking. Well, um, I hadn't heard much about that before. Uh, makes me sad. Uh, a lot of things like that are still kind of happening, and I mean, maybe not to that degree, but reserves that have don't don't have clean drinking water. Um, yeah, um, the whole thing in Nova Scotia or Newfoundland with the lobsters. There was a fishing thing like last week's um, my class learned about a fishing thing like that too. About I believe there um, is protests going on right now, on on the island, um, having to do with uh, the last remaining old growth forests. I can't remember where that is though. I unfortunately I haven't dived too deep into it yet. And it's like one of our. So if we lose that, we'll go dip from ten biomes to nine. Sorry, I was making a joke That's, about how many yeah. biomes we have. <laughs> Sorry, because I don't know how many we. It's, you know the thing. Um, Canadian, Canada, I'm pretty like, sure, like, things have gotten on a little bit intense with that. Maybe I could touch on it next week. I've got to love to because I'm I'm interested in that. And sorry, I was making. I'm not trying to make light of that. Obviously, like I'm pro. I'm I'm a hippie man. I'm pro like plants. I don't flush my toilet very often. Save the trees. I'm just I'm all for saving the trees. I was just making a joke because we have every biome. So I was like, oh, we'll go down from ten to nine. <laughs> 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 obviously i don't want to lose any though i like that canada has every biome i think it's a cool thing um i want to yeah i want to learn more about that next week so we'll touch on that okay and we're just going to have a quick uh, read here from our new sponsor um easy money hey here captain kid with a uh ad read from our new sponsor uh money easy so you can download the money easy step or Money Easy app in any um, store that has apps in it. Uh, have you ever wanted money, but financial stuff is too dang hard 
then you need to download the Eat Money Easy app to make mon easy money today. To make easy money with Money Easy app, just follow these two easy steps. Easy Money Step 1 Download the Money Easy app into your internet connected device. Money Easy Step 2 Use the Money Easy app to acquire easy money easily right now. Now we have here the app founder, Helena Richwoman Full Money Bags IV, the richest Canadian in all of Capitalsburg. Please, Helena. Tell us about your business model, seen here in the shape of a triangle. I always wanted easy money, so I made it happen. And now, I make it happen for everyone else. Compelling stuff. <laughs> that was, uh, that's, that's our sponsor. The uh, Money Easy app. Download it and get free money. <laughs> Easily. <laughs> Welcome back to Canadian Piracast and our next segment, Local Waters. This will be spearheaded by none other than the quartermaster of the CPC herself, Gummy Bear. Welcome back. Okay, not gonna be. I can do this. All right, let's go. You can do let's this. Go. All you right. have a voice for radio, Gummy Bear. <laughs> okay, so today my focus is gonna be a little broader than last time we talked about the news. Because last time, if you remember, we focused mostly North Island and very, very local. I'll be talking about the entire Vancouver Island and also Vancouver a little bit as well. And, and like a little bit further out into just kind of branching out throughout BC. Um, so I'm going to be talking about the surge of missing people and exploring the possibility that it may be tied to human trafficking as well as talking about known human traffickers in our communities over the last couple of years. So I'm going to start with the four individuals from Vancouver Island who were arrested in Saskatchewan in January of 2020. I'm going to be avoiding names. All of the info is going to be in our cited news sources. So three of the four people arrested are related. There's a mother and her two sons. The mother is in her late 30s and her sons are early 20s. I will be They were arrested in Saskatchewan. They had been traveling in a convoy of three vehicles and had two underage girls in the back seats. I assume the girls were in separate vehicles, but this detail isn't reported anywhere. They were stopped for speeding, and luckily the RCMP noticed the suspicious activity. It is believed that they were heading to Montreal to, con to sexually traffic the girls and had already been doing so with them in other communities. They were found with $3,500 in cash, and I believe they also had a firearm, but the reporting is a little unclear about that. I saw it in some sources, but not in others. Now, two of the brothers, the two brothers who are involved here, um, one only one was charged and sentenced to three years, including time already served, so he will only be in jail for two years. The other brother was only found guilty guilty of perjury and served six months. However, um, the brother who only served six months 
had already been charged with human trafficking in Nanaimo, I believe. The older, the older brother who only served six months had already been charged with human trafficking related crimes in Nanaimo in 2019. And I do find it extremely disturbing that someone who already had a history of this was not charged when charged further when caught in the act. It seems clear to me that the old, the younger brother took on the responsibility of all their crimes in this instance and only serving three years for taking those girls away from their families and attempting to take them to the other side of this huge country is just not enough. The charges against the mother were not pursued, which is mind boggling. I guess guilty by association isn't a thing here in Canada. Since she was released on bail, she breached her bail conditions and harassed one of the victims so much that she is now under a peace bond, one of the Canadian equivalents of a restraining order. And again, I'm not sure why there was no further punishment for breaching the bail conditions. Um, there has also been multiple community reports online about her using um, many different Facebook accounts with different names. Occasionally she uses the same picture that is has been plastered all over the news. Um, but she often uses other pictures as well. I recently came across yet another Facebook post on April 20th, so only a month ago, showing screenshots of new accounts of hers and also her son, who only served six months and has previous human trafficking charges, all using aliases and different pictures. I am grateful that the community hasn't forgotten and are keeping an eye out for these people. Um, and we, we definitely should be. There was the other man who was involved and arrested in Saskatchewan, was rearrested 10 days after bail for having a firearm, but not much else can be found about him. It seems as though he may also have only been charged with perjury. Um, but the reporting on him is really lacking. There are only a few articles that all pretty much say the same thing. It may just be that it fell through the news cracks because COVID hit pretty soon after they were all arrested. That's the that's the first part of this. <laughs> I was going to say, as like a thing where, and I know I told you that story that I can't say right now, but essentially where they judge, ba they judge basically the risk, the criminal and the risk to the community at large, like how much what are the odds of them hurting a random person or hurting a specific person right and they they weigh that into how dangerous a person is so i find it really odd that in this case where these people that are very clearly a danger to any number of people in the community well particularly young girls but that's a large mm -hmm. demographic because that's not a specific person's like a name and an address saying like a demographic you're automatically getting into a large group of people hundreds so it's like yeah, the, the the risk that these people pose. This is uh this is mind boggling that this is that they have not served more time for this or been like convicted of this stuff. I uh, it it the the part about the other brother already having um charges against him for basically the same thing, being caught in the act doing it again, and he's not the one charged. His his younger brother is. I think they both should be all through all four of them, honestly. Well, and two years, two years. 
Well, what I'm getting about this is that if they're being so obvious too, because they're already trying to do it again with like his profiles, can't the cops exactly. set up like an easy trap? Like just get you however they do it, because cops are allowed to set up those undercover traps. Like this seems like a very easy win. You get send in a fake a cop that like is like this. And then with backup and shit, and then you arrest them in the act of that shit. It seems very obvious because these these people seem very, like these criminals don't even seem particularly stealthy or sneaky. Like mm. bare minimum, like I think that they're slightly less obvious than Nigerian scammers. But oh my god, this is I'm sorry. This seems so like how have they not been punished more, and how are they not like getting rearrested more easily? Sorry. Good for the island, though, spreading the word. I gotta say, good for good for communities. Cause I, I still see those pictures here and there. Yeah. So, like, good for good for people. Thank you, people, that spread that around, this information around, and those pictures and shit so people know who they are. Sorry. Please feel free to interject a little bit while I'm talking as well. No, that was all good. That's all I just want to say is, like, just kudos to people and communities for keeping it aware and pe- making sure people are aware that who, who these people are and what they've done and that they're they're continuing to do. That's all I was going to say. Feel free to go on. I don't want to take up all your time. <laughs> okay, so the second part that I want to talk about is the surge of missing people on the island. And it's all, I think it's all like interconnected, really. Um, and Vancouver, particularly Lower Island. Um, and I also want to talk about reported close calls that I've seen from all of our communities. So first, I, I want to I think it would be a disservice to talk about missing people in BC without mentioning the Highway of Tears, especially as it was just the National Day of Awareness for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls on May 5th. I would have liked to mention it, have mentioned it closer to the day itself, but um, didn't exactly go as planned in our previous episodes. Um, so quite simply from the Wikipedia page, the Highway of Tears is a 725-kilometer corridor of Highway 16 between Prince George and Prince Rupert, British Columbia, which has been the location of many missing and w- murdered Indigenous women beginning in approximately 1970. There are over 80 known victims. Um, this is just one symptom of an on- ongoing nationwide problem of Indigenous women overwhelming overwhelmingly being targets of abuse, murder, sexual assault, kidnapping, and human trafficking nationwide, with victims throughout Canada and the U.S. being numbered in the thousands, if not tens of thousands. And also before I get into it, I would also like to mention the Red Dress Project, which I'm sure most people have seen and heard of by now, but if not, here is the excerpt straight from the original artist's website. The Red Dress Project focuses around the issue of missing or murdered Aboriginal women across Canada. It is an installation art project based on an aesthetic response to this critical national issue. The project has been installed in public spaces throughout Canada and the United States as a visual reminder of the staggering number of women who are no longer with us. Through the installation, I hope to draw attention to the gendered and racialized nature of violent crimes against Aboriginal women and to evoke a presence through the marking of absence. Well, I was going to say that I, uh, 
I count on my regular bike route from places using main roads and stuff and including my own neighborhood. I count, I want to say between about, okay, so like a year ago it was like two. And now it's about five or six. And I, I'm, so the thing is, I, I keep, I've, I've like forgotten what this, I, I, I remember this project and I forget it and I get retaught it and I forget it again. Just as a, my brain can only run on so much because it's not something I think about, but it's I like a shitty to say, I'm sorry to be, I'm not trying to be, I just, but I, um, I'm starting to see them more everywhere. And I'm happy to be like reminded what that was again though, because I was like, I can't remember what it was. So I'm happy that I'm learning this again or learning more about it anyway. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Gummy Bear, for educating <laughs> me. I appreciate that. You're very welcome. Okay. Um, fun fact Beastie has the highest number of missing people every year in all of Canada. In 2020, there was 12,400 missing, missing person cases which is 40% of all of Canada's missing persons cases for 2020. Um, there are many different reasons for this. Uh, I know that I mentioned this podcast in our first episode, Island Crimes by journalist Laura Palmer. She goes into the broader topic of missing men on the island and also talks to some professionals about the many reasons why BC does have such a higher number of missing people. Um, again, the second season of her podcast focuses on the missing men throughout the island over the last couple decades, but to, I just want to make sure I'm clear that today I'm, I'm focusing only on recent events, um, and because of my speculative traffic, human trafficking angle on this, I probably won't be focusing on any recent missing men either, um, not because of a disdain for men or anything, just because, uh... Uh, or like, and not because I don't think men or boys are ever human trafficked, but it's just less common and it's just not my focus today. So I just want to make that really clear. There are, um, there are lots, a lot of cases of missing men currently as well and recently and, um, and they, they are, um, you know, they're important too. I'm just, I just need to get, make sure that like that. It's clear that that's not that is just not my focus right now. <laughs> yeah, I was I, I was I was gonna make a joke, but you're right. Like that's <laughs> it's a it's a clarification thing. Um, yeah. Well, it's also it's also important to say too that if we're in that territory, let's say that like obviously the point of this is that we're trying to have a free flow conversation and edit it as best we can to not be as offensive. But it's or if we say something we could or we like look back and be like this is something I completely don't agree with. But we're always changing as people too and making like okay like. I said this last week, like, when I wrote off and being like, oh, people, like, oh, people are jumping on the Asian hate train. Oh, well, people are fucking stupid. Like, I don't actually mean that. I was just, it was like a reaction to be like, oh, come on, like, really? But it's not like I blatantly mean that. So let's clarify that too, right? Like, we're just like, we're, well, how you, how you get to know somebody is like through consistent things, consistent opinions and like this. Obviously, you care about everybody, gummy bear, just like me. Like, I... My answer to everything is love, and you do care about everything, right? But you gotta focus and narrow down topic, right? Like, a lot of crap happened with the Oka crisis, so I just did cliff notes of what happened and what we're linking to for sources give way more detail. Yeah, Right? Because that's the thing, too. Like, so what I... I like this website, Canadian Encyclopedia, and they have this great historical articles, and so that has way more detail on the Oka crisis than what I provided than my crappy cliff notes. <laughs> but maybe if somebody's interested in it, they'll go learn, they'll go learn about it, because that's the whole goal of this, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, I learned about the ledger. Thank you for teaching me right now. 
Okay. So teach me about missing women. So starting in as best as I can remember, about October of last year, 2020, I started seeing um, an uptick in community community warnings um, online from and to people in Vancouver and on the Lower Island in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so sorry. Post about posts about close calls, uh, missing women, and also um, posts from women in those areas who were very suddenly scared to be alone even in daytime in public, which is um, not what wouldn't be common from those people that I saw that from. Uh, Unfortunately, a couple of the posts I had saved were deleted, so lesson learned, I'll definitely be taking screenshots from now on. So I don't lose information. Um, But first, I would like to read the names of missing women just in this last year. Year and a half or so, or maybe all the way back. Yeah, yes, last year and a half from from BC, all of BC. Um, if If I read everyone's name, it would probably take me three hours and we don't have that kind of time. So I'm going to be only focusing on the women and only women who are still missing, not cases where they were found or, unfortunately, and there have been some where their bodies are found. Um, so we're just going to stick with people who are still missing. Um, I have, I got some of these names from Facebook groups, posts, news outlets, RCMP websites as well. So I'm going to start with um, the most recent, which was yesterday. Uh, Maria Munden... Mundanensi, Mund- ah, I'm not going to worry too much about pronouncing the names right. So she went missing yesterday, May 20th, 2021, in Vancouver. Then we have Shannon De La Ronde, who went missing on May 10th, 2021, in Victoria. Then there is Jenna Whitney Zerontonello, who went missing March 3rd, 2021, in Vancouver. Chelsea Harry. February 21st, 2021, from our very own Comox Valley. Fatima Abdolaili, February 26th, 2021, from North Vancouver. Shailene Keeler-Bell, 23 years old, of Chilliwack. She went missing on January 30th of 2021. Chelsea Poorman went missing... September 6th, 2020, from Burnaby and Vancouver. I believe she was traveling in between those two places when she went missing. Sarah Ford, July 6th, 2020, Fort, from Fort St. John. Laylee Honeywell, May 12th, 2020, from Merritt. April Lee Ann Peri- Parisian, April 5th, 2020, from a place called Spoozum. Um, I'm sorry. I had never I'm, heard I'm, that place I'm, before, I'm, I'm, and I was, pro- I was not, taken aback. So <laughs> I know. I had the same that. reaction. I am sorry. That's I'm a very not laughing strange at this. Strange name. That's a. I want not, to know how to pronounce that. That's yeah. the first thing I'm looking up after this podcast. <laughs> what can I? What is that? I'm gonna Google that right now. S P U double Z U M. Okay. Okay. Moving on. Shailena Lewis, March twenty first, twenty twenty, from Masset. Denisha Heward, March eleventh. 2020 from Mission. Kaylee Eden Fiddler from March 12th, 2020, Penticton. 
um, Nurla Sharma, February 23rd, 2020, from New Westminster. Monica Remillard, February 19th, 2020, also New Westminster. Days Apart. That freaks me out. Um, and Atifa Jedi Dan, February 19th, 2020, Bridge Meadows. Um, those are just a few of the names I found. There, I know there are many more. Um, okay. So, sorry, here for, on the, so on the government thing, and now I'll see if I can send this to Gummy Bear, but it's a PDF file, um, but it says, Puzz, or it's pronounced Spuzzum. Okay. Spuzzum, with a dash in between the two Zs. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, that's the government saying that, that's... and it's from 2018. Okay. Let's not focus on that, though. I'm just saying, um, as, as a quick correction. I would have liked to have, like, like gone to detail about um, all these people. Like I said, I don't have time, so I encourage people to go and look at their pictures. Um, some of these some of these, these um, women are are as old as um, 70, and it's this is ranging between, like, 14, 15 years old to 70 years old. So there's, like, no... Yeah. <laughs> Um, so now I'm going to read some posts that I that I saw. They were voicing concerns and warning others of close calls in communities. I'm not going to be naming the po people who posted them. But I'm going to read them out. So, number one, from February 4th, 2021. How is no one really talking about the amount of abducted females these last few weeks from Vancouver all the way to Merritt and probably more up north that way. They have already caught three people involved in doing some of the abductions, but it won't stop there. I have literally never seen anyone talking about this. Not on the news, radio station, nothing. If you are a female, I recommend that you travel in twos. Keep your phone by you at all times, maybe even something to protect you, because God knows the police won't protect you, the media won't do shit, we need to stick together and work together to keep ourselves safe. Number two, posted on February 18th. Tofino friends, I am sharing something that happened to a friend here in town yesterday. Everyone, please be aware. I have been advised slash encouraged to share what happened yesterday in hopes of spreading the word and keeping our community safe. I was followed and chased by a man in the Tonquin Trails around 4.30 p.m. yesterday. I am safe and grateful. A separate incident Tuesday night describes the same man following two females home and trying to enter their Airbnb. Police reports are filed for both and here is his description. White male, 5'9", shaggy brown hair, short full beard, black cargo pants, traditional glasses, approximately mid-40s. Stay safe. Number three, posted on February 20th. Please, everyone be aware of your surroundings and always be vigilant. An incident happened to me earlier that scared the hell out of me. I was on my way to Nanaimo and stopped in Port Alberni at the McDonald's to use the bathroom. When I pulled into the parking lot, I noticed two men blatantly staring at me from inside their black Subaru. As I got out of my car, I went in, and when I came out, I noticed that there was now only one man in the vehicle. As I got to my car, he pulled out super fast and blocked me in. I was already inside the car with the doors locked because fuck that. He gets out of his 
car and walks over to my window and says he wants to talk to me. I obviously told him to fuck off, but he kept insisting I roll down my window. As I was telling him again to fuck off and move out of my way, the second man suddenly appeared at my passenger side door and was trying to open the door. I then began honking my horn and screaming at the top of my lungs, which finally made them get back into their car and speed away. This was at 5 p.m. It was daylight, and the drive through had a huge lineup. I wasn't in an unsafe place. I'm just shocked. The police have been notified, but unfortunately I did not get a license plate number. I am safe and unharmed, but I can't help but think what might have happened if I wasn't paying attention. Please be careful out there. Scary things are happening right now. Yes? I, as a thing, I, that's fucking horrifying. But I can actually, there's a psychological phenomenon with that. I can explain that's horrifying, but there's a thing, for, actually a reason for that. I'll like one for, more. Okay. Uh, could, or you Google, you Google, finish your thing then. Number four. Uh, from Port Alberni. A really tall man and woman followed me and my three-year-old girl. We lost my sister in Walmart and we walked to the front. We went to, down the pillow aisle and the woman followed close while the man walked the very next aisle, beating us to the end. After they watched us closely, after after that, they watched us closely as we picked out bananas and strawberries and then left at the same time. It doesn't end there. They sat in the parking lot waiting for a bit. Be careful and keep your kids close. Um, I did have, like I said, I had a few more, but they were deleted. So please tell me. Um, this is, well, this is an important thing, actually, because it's important that we know, because if you know about it, you can prevent it, essentially. But there's a, um, psychological phenomenon. I don't remember exactly what it was called, um, which is, because I'm very shady of me, but I learned this in psych, psych classes here in college. But essentially, if there are a lot of people around, then people have this weird kind of default that if they see somebody in trouble, someone else will deal with it because there's so many people mm -hmm. around. Yeah. So this is how this is how people go for long periods of time in a crowded area like a drive-through with a lot of people, thinking how is this happening? It's because everyone thinks someone else will do it. The more people are around, and I'm saying that that's not a good th that's not a good thing. That's just a factual thing. So if you're aware of it though, you can ask that. Like when I was like in the grocery store the other day, I made an ask myself because I saw a person that looked like they had fallen down or a worker and i was like hey are you okay she's like oh yeah i'm fine i just slipped like why are you asking i was like oh because i learned about this thing in psych class and there's a lot of people around so maybe no one's offering you help if you hurt yourself she's like no i'm fine so that's how you stop that shit though is just like if you see even in a crowded area if you see somebody in distress don't assume someone else is going to do something because everyone else is going to think that somebody else is okay. so you so that's just good to if you know as a human being sorry i'm not trying to take your thunder no, i was just saying okay. That's a, there's a reason for that, and there's a preventable thing for that. You just have to step up and be like, fuck that, stop those two guys from getting into that car. So earlier this year, there was a woman seen in distress in, I think it was Royston, I couldn't find the news story about it, so unfortunately, some of the details are lost in my memory. Um, she was seen in a car in distress, like seen like trying to get out of the car. Um, whoever witnessed it didn't get a license plate, so the police never found the car. And there has been, like, some p pure speculation, but some community speculation that it might have been the missing woman, Chelsea Harry, who had been in that car. Um, another quick story I found. A man in BC's southern interior was reportedly um, caught trying to pull, or... Sorry, wasn't caught, <laughs> was just reportedly trying to pull over women 
on rural rural highways while impersonating a police officer. Um, they have not found him. That's so super scary. Be careful. Um, now, last summer, the Victoria Police Department started an undercover operation called Operation No More. And while it has not led to any arrests at this time, according to the article, the operation has both both confirmed suspicions of a prominent problem in Greater Victoria, as well as not they didn't learn a lot during the operation. So it's kind of like, okay, kind of opposite things there. Um, hopefully this at least means that the Victoria Police will have more of a focus on the prominent problem now. Um, here's where I kind of get into the speculative because I've heard rumors like over the years about like the ferry from Victoria to, um, I think Seattle or Washington. Um, I've heard rumors about that being a, a hotspot for traffic across the border. Um, which I, I said, assuming maybe it hasn't been the case, um, this year because of COVID, but, um, there's also like, you know, national circuits, you know, they don't keep girls in the same place for very long they're just they just go around kind of in a in a circuit in a three-car convoy he would say mm, yeah something like that mm. going to montreal um i want to make it clear that not every girl or woman who goes missing or man for that matter um it's it's it can't all be from human trafficking um i think but i think it's it is important to talk about the potential for the correlation there because we don't know what happened to them and where they are and they deserve to be with their loved ones. As one of the posts I read pointed out, there isn't much official talk about this from the news of the RCMP. There's no public safety warnings or safety reassurance. And with the ones who were caught last year and barely punished or not at all, that kind of leaves it to us in the community to talk about it and share experiences publicly when they do happen to keep each other safe. I was just thinking, um, uh, sorry, I was just thinking about how just horrifying it is, though. Just, um, human trafficking is just one of the grossest crimes a human can do. Yeah. And yet it seems to get more overlooked than it should. And think about, like, you just think about scaling bad crimes and everything like that. Like, obviously, let's say the worst crime is, like, anything, most, anything involving children. And because that's, I always say that because, like, even in a, even in, like, prison, there's an understanding that pedophiles are the worst. So, it's kind of... I think it's interesting that even among people that do terrible things, there's, like, there's even a, a section of them that they're like, fuck, no, that's the, that's the bad shit. And I always thought human trafficking is weird, and maybe it's because it doesn't involve, like, a direct... It doesn't involve a direct some one person committing a rape or one person committing a murder. It's like prolonged rape as you're being circuited around and sold essentially like and or in slavery um as, yeah. as well um because you're doing this against your will so it's basically modern s slavery and um but it's not and it's not treated more seriously because there's no i feel like there's no like death or thing like that i think that's like the line maybe maybe the line is that like it doesn't cause a loss of life which is, but it's like, it's literally the worst thing after that, though. Because you think about these other crimes, too. Like, what would you say is worse? Being raped once or being raped a hundred times? 
So that's kind of, and I'm not trying to go tit for tat here and undermine anybody's um, thing like that, obviously, because that's not, I've, I'm privileged enough to not have had a terrible experience like that. But I'm mm -hmm. saying that it's weird and how human trafficking is universally worse, seems worse, but it's not, it's treated in the same level. Like, would you compare one to a hundred on anything, on any scale like that, when that's like, uh, I don't think so. And if you put any two things there, like it's kind of like a ridiculous difference in that, right? But that's essentially the amount of damage that's happening on a person, right? You're comparing one experience of a bad thing, one thing stolen, something being stolen from you once, or something being stolen from you a hundred times. Like experience one death or experience a hundred. Like all of it is, it's like, but because that's what human trafficking is. It's that prolonged suffering on one person. And that's just despicable. And as like a side thing too, it makes me mad because as one person that believes in loving your fellow human, obviously crimes against humans are just like that's like your fellow man, and like every most I guess most crimes are something like against your fellow man, but that's like a especially a bad thing too. Like, yeah, sorry, because like human trafficking always like just it always wrinkles my brain because it just seems worse than so many other things so why would you do that to somebody so i don't know just people sorry. are evil people are and anything to make money but it just sorry it always wrinkles my brain in particular anytime human trafficking comes up as a thing and that's why mm. i'm a bit more stunned but i was happy to learn from you gummy bear thank you for educating me yeah i might bring it up again it's an ongoing problem typically because that's what we we're just talking about though is that human trafficking never doesn't really go away it's a very mess of crime and it seems to be underpunished Thank you for listening to me stumble all over my notes. <laughs> oh, I didn't do much better. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure we both butchered names, but oh, yeah. again, it was, for sure. again, the thing, the, again, even when you're reading pronunciation, things like that too, there's only so much you can kind of pick up, right? You just, the best is to hear it from somebody. So anyone who is Mohawk, please tell me, send me an audio file. You're saying it properly. <laughs> please God, correct me. Um... We take another just quick break here, um, and then go into our uh, final segment for the day, and just end on something a little bit less grim than rights being trampled on. Actually, twice. Not thinking about yeah, no, two times, just in different scales. So, learning is fun. <laughs> All right, stay tuned. I saw a sword from shoveling all day. So sit down, sit down, sit down. And we're back with Captain's Kitchen to end on some cooking notes today for Canadian Pyrocast episode three. So I wanted so here there are two things I want to talk about. Is these were one was supposed to be last week, because we we're supposed to talk about brownies, but through a mess up. Uh, gummy bear did not get any of my brownies, so I've made I've been messing with brownies all week trying to make the most amazing brownies and she will judge those and we'll discuss that and The second thing is last week. I did a half-assed mac and cheese thing pulling out of my butt because we again We're just didn't know we were think a lot of stuff uh, hiccups happened, so I wanted to give a proper mac and cheese um, thing and also just a better way to do it though like a healthier way to make a cheesy buttery heart attack so the first thing here is we're talking about brownies though so gummy bear 
these are some brownies I made, and I want you to eat these. And I'm gonna I'm gonna belt out the recipe while you eat the, eat this. So one of these is walnut, and one of these is whole peanuts, or like as like half peanut halves essentially. And they were I made them like half baked brownies, so they're like a little bit should be a bit gooier, but they um, those are three days old, and they haven't been frozen or anything. And there's one thing I learned about brownies, and uh, feel free to comment on this after but is that when you freeze them, they dry out super bad and become super crumbly. Like brownies are really, they're not great. They don't freeze well. Um, they still taste good, but they just, they're drier and they freeze a lot. So this recipe is you start with a cup of unsalted butter and two tablespoons of vegetable oil. And as a hack for this too, I want to say, um, if you're like me and sometimes you just don't like having unsalted butter in the house, you can use salted butter. You just have to adjust the salt content um, in your baking. And we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. The rule of thumb though, is that for every cup of salted butter or no, every half cup of salted butter, it's a half teaspoon of salt to that. So if you use salted butter and you have three quarter teaspoon, you only do a quarter teaspoon for that one cup of salted butter. But we'll get to that in a bit here. So you have your melted, you have your melted butter and vegetable oil. Um, that has to be completely melted and liquefied, um, but not boiled, obviously. And that's actually really important because if you don't, if you go with like room temperature butter, folding your brownies later is a lot harder. It's a lot stiffer, and you risk overmixing it. So this is why it's important for it to be melted. As a clarification thing. Then you want to cream that with a whisk attachment on your mixer or just like really intensely with your wrist um, with a cup and a quarter of white sugar and one packed cup of light brown sugar. Once your sugar is creamed with your melted butter and vegetable oil, you take four eggs, um, mix them, adding one at a time slowly while you whisk that into your sugar mixture. And then you do vanilla extract, which I did one tablespoon of that. Then you, after that, you take one cup of all-purpose flour, one cup of cocoa, unsweetened cocoa powder, and depending on if you use salted or unsalted butter, for unsalted, you would do three-quarter teaspoon of salt, and if you use salted butter, it'll only be one-quarter teaspoon of salt. You whisk that all together um, with a dry whisk as a flour mixture and sift, the, sift it until it's thoroughly mixed. Then you dump your sugar mixture, sugar egg mixture over this flour and then fold it into the brownies. And I'd actually like to hear your opinion on this gummy bear because you're more of a baker than me. But my folding technique is I scoop from the bottom and push it forward and kind of just curve over to the left when I, because I'm right-handed. So kind of like down, up and over, and that's about it. And then occasionally like I do a cut through it if I have to, if a part of it's not getting mixed. What's your folding technique when you do it by hand? Or I guess all folding is done by hand in baking. I, I don't really feel like I have one. Okay. Just I just fold it, I don't know. I guess I bring it up I because- I haven't made anything like that for quite a while, so. Okay. And I only get into it because I- you Gotta make sure you get all the stuff on the bottom mm -hmm. really well. No, totally. And I just, I don't, I didn't learn how to fold properly until like two years ago. And that's just the one way I do it. And now it effectively works. And that's why mm -hmm. I want to clarify. Cause like I could fold, but I couldn't do it well. And if you don't fold your flour well, you get like a denser, hard thing. Yeah. Right? Um, 
So when you have your mix and everything is thoroughly mixed, and it should look, it should look like a brown. It should almost look like cake icing. Actually, it'll have the consistency of like a mm -hmm. doughy cake icing for your brownie mix. Here's when you're gonna mix in your filler. And did you try the each of the brownies? Okay, so here are the next ones too. So, and uh, so the first ones were just whole peanuts and whole walnuts. So the ones on the front here are half baked with white chocolate chips, milk chocolate chips, and a little bit of dark chocolate chips. So they're triple oh chocolate. <laughs> And then the ones in the back are walnuts and peanuts together, but I chopped them up and like made them tinier and more bite-sized. So when you get to your filler, you can kind of go between a cup and a cup and a half of filler and you can mix and match it. And I did like a few different things here. So I didn't like having whole nuts or bigger chunk nuts in there because they're just kind of a lot to bite down on. So I made a version of it with chopped up nuts mixed together and I like the consistency of it better. It holds together a bit better and it's a bit nicer, a bit more pleasing to bite into. And then I did another one with chocolate chips. Hello. Hello Katie. I did another one with three different types of chocolate chips. I didn't do more chocolate chips. I just did like the same amount of volume of solid material, but like in a mix of different chocolates. And so essentially it's about a cup to a cup and a half of solid material you want to mix into your brownies. So you fold that in as well with your same scooping over method like me. And um, until that's thoroughly incorporated. And then if you want to add an extra touch, after you spread your brownie mix into a pan, you put some chocolate or whatever on top of it to have it like stick out on top, but it's also not necessary because it all is just in there. Um, you take a pan, which I don't know the exact ratio, but it's one of those standard pie pans that's like nine by 13 or whatever. And you butter it. So you take soft butter and just like roll it around all the edges because I felt like that's the best thing for baking and like having a... Uh, non-greasy edge and having it pop right out of the pan. So you want to bake that at 350 Fahrenheit until um, for either 25, about 25 minutes if you want it underdone and about 30 to 35 if you want them more overdone. Oh, sorry, that's a big difference with these ones too. So the, uh, the double nut ones the, with the chopped up nuts, I bake those for 35 minutes and the other, um, the chocolate ones, I baked for 25 minutes. It's like a half baked. So um, mm -hmm. you can do, you can make a brownie with like different consistency as well. And I'm curious what you think about it because like the fully cooked ones are way chewier, um, but I really like the soft half baked ones. I think they, I just love oh, the- Oh yeah, the uh, softness is really nice. It's just so pleasant. And something I have to be careful of because like in my workplace, because like it all has to be uh, soft for people. Right. Because, uh, mm -hmm. so I think it's good. But what what's your thoughts on brownies? I think the double nut one was the best one here. Um, the one here with, like, just chocolate chips, I can't even eat it. It's, like, it's too rich. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, not, like, it's bad. It's just, like, it's a lot. <laughs> well, it's funny because this original recipe, and I can't even cite the author because I don't remember if I got it off the internet or if I got it out of a Squares book. So it's a generic brownie recipe that I've like, and I guess I've changed a bit, a little bit with the context, but they don't even say add nuts. They just do straight chocolate. And I'm just like, no, you gotta have nuts in there because it evens it out. Mm. But I was just sticking around with it. And I thought like, I just kind of wanted to like, I wonder, oh, right. I want to make one some with no nuts because I was going to maybe give some to a friend with braces. 
So she can't have any nuts in anything. So that's why that's one of the reasons why. But if I did the chocolate ones again, I wouldn't do white chocolate in there because it's again they have no nuts to make them more tart. So it's uh, just do straight brown too chocolate. Much for me. <laughs> again, I like it. I'm sure you know. I'm sure like a kid would like it because it just get like a sugar rush out of it. Oh, I probably would have loved that as a kid for sure. But I was just. What do you think about the consistency? So consistency though between um, like a fully baked and a half baked brownie. I don't, I don't eat brownies enough to, like, really know. It's been a long time. Me neither. That's why I wanted to experiment with those, because I, yeah. never, I never got a good brownie recipe down, and I'm pretty satisfied with this one. Okay. So with this recipe in particular, I feel like it's important to clarify with the um, size of it for baking, because I did this in two circular 9 by 13 pans, roughly, or whatever, like, the average pie dish is. Because the bake time would change drastically if you did this in one solid pan, that was one big pan, which is what the recipe originally called for. Doing it in two smaller pans, um, one recipe in two smaller pans, is um, obviously that bake time is lower too. So that's a bit a of a... A little bit more even that way. Well, that's what I thought too, because Depending I thought... On, I mean, if you don't have like a really good oven. I don't have a good oven. Yeah. Might I have to like move stuff around? Mm-hmm. So, what do you so grade, much chocolate. <laughs> what do you grade these brownies as? Um, I'd say the one with walnuts and peanuts. Is um grade A double walnut S tier <laughs> and then um this double chocolate is is like a D or an F. Oh wow. Epic fail on the double chocolate. It's just not for me. That's fair. Yeah, I'm wondering if it did like Chopped up the white chocolate so it's like a bit more diverse spread out. No, it would have still been the same. <laughs> I don't hate it, but it's not all about me. I agree with you <laughs> that the um, the peanut and walnut one is my favorite one. It's good because that's a good evenly. Because I don't know, I like just just peanuts in the brownie are not amazing, um, but like the peanut and walnut, it's so like I don't know. I love the mixed nuts. It's balanced as all hell. So the next thing I want to touch on. As like my uh, final thing is a proper mac and cheese recipe. Now this is again, do not follow Captain <clears throat> Captain's Kitchen if you want healthy food and to live a long, healthy, active life with the most solid of poops. This is a <laughs> cooking channel oh if you God. want good tasting food that makes you your heart feel great. Don't forget your fiber supplements. Yeah. I totally have a smoothie every have say a, the word supplement what the fuck. Have a smoothie every now and then. It'll even out your uh, having having a smoothie every now and then evens out your colon tract. It's fantastic. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not a doctor, just to be clear. <laughs> um, so mac and cheese though, this is really good though. And I actually found a way to make it a bit healthier, um, so to speak. So you can feel less guilty about eating like starch, butter, and cheese. So 
the first thing you're going to want to do is make your roux, um, which will be how you thicken up your milk sauce. And you can do this through... <laughs> milk sauce. <laughs> milk sauce. <laughs> so you can do this through a couple different ways. I did... Usually it goes one-to-one. -one. So I do half a cup of butter and half a, or half a cup of butter or fat and half a cup of flour, all-purpose flour. But in this case, I did it with a quarter cup of bacon fat because I have a lot of bacon fat just chilling in my fridge and a quarter cup of butter. And I think that's a good thing, though, because if you want a way to reuse this stuff effectively, effectively, that's like a good thing way to do it is use your bacon fats to make brews. Although there's a pitfall to that and I'll get to that at the end of this. Um, and then to make your milk sauce, you need, now here's a cool thing. I'm not sure if anyone knows you can do this, but when you boil pasta, you can save that water and reuse it for a sauce. And oh, it'll be, it's the best it's, thing to do. Oh, Even if you're like, go for it. Um, I mean, a lot of people will use like oil and try to get their noodles not to stick, but all you have to do is just leave a little bit of the water in there because mm -hmm. it's got that starchiness and it'll keep your noodles from sticking together. We well, just have to break it up after it comes out too. Like I always do. Oil it. will do nothing for oil you. Oil doesn't do shit. Just waste oil. That's, that's wasteful. No, the best way to get your noodles not to stick is that you, so I always have a pot of cold water to drop them into and that you pull them apart and make sure they like just kind of are, make sure they're broken apart by the time they're completely cool. And then when they're completely cool, they don't stick nearly as badly. But the, uh, and everyone has, like, there's other different ways, but the oil is just wasteful. So if you want to do it without wasting oil. It actually kind of, like, it can sometimes make it worse. Mm -hmm. uh, it depends. It depends yeah. on, like. But the important thing of the bit is that you can save your pasta water and use it for other cooking stuff. And that way you're just not dumping that water out. And it's actually, like, in Italy, they totally save the pasta water and use it for sauces because it's, like, free thickener, essentially. Mm -hmm. So I did this, I made my milk sauce this time with, you can do this also with plain water, but it'll be, uh, it's just better with the pasta sauce because it's richer. 500 milliliters of pasta water or regular and 500 milliliters of milk. You whisk that, whisk, whisk that together is your sauce for your liquid. So once you have your roux and your roux is nice and hot, we talked about this last episode, but you pour your, your liquid, your one liter of liquid into your, should be a one cup of roux. Um, I just... Like carrying those measurements, like that's like a liter, yeah, of liquid. So you know, I'm talking for, about bulk cooking. Okay, but like you know, for anyone who's just quickly whipping it up for themselves, like, well, well, here's here's why I bring it up. Maybe even bring that down to a quarter. Well, here, here's why I bring it up. So uh, let's clarify with my cooking is my I cook a I'll cook something that lasts me like three days. So the yeah. amounts I'm cooking in are like it will it's it's like good for pre prepared meals. You know what I mean? Because you can do different things with it. Um. And because also I would get fixated and be like, I'm going to perfect mac and cheese this week. And I did. So, I'm kidding. I didn't perfect it. I just, like, damn near close. So these are large amounts if you want to make, like, this will make a liter of bechamel sauce, roughly. A um, little over. But you can obviously cut this re recipe in half. It's not like a baking recipe where if you fuck with it, sorry, if you mess with it a little bit, it might totally fall on its face. Like, this is very malleable. So if you want to do... Half the amount of liquid and half the amount of roux, easily doable. Um, you could even do like less roux if you want your sauce to be a little bit um, saucier and less and less thick. This is just what I've found has been working for me. So, but the point, it's very important to have your cold liquid go into your hot roux. Um, and everyone will debate this because they say, eh, you eat lumps. If you whisk it fast enough, you don't get bad lumps. It's just got to kind of be on it. Be slowly whisking a little bit. A little bit cold to your hot roux and then that will again causes a chemical reaction which causes that thickening 
And by the time you have all of it in there, it should be kind of like a thicky, thick milk sauce. It should like coat the back of a spoon as kind of a general um, thing. Uh, you cook off your macaroni, which again is however much, because you just pre, you do this with pre-cooked pasta. And I should say the important thing with this is that the things before the mac and cheese all has to be pre-cooked before you bake it off. And that's like the, the baking is like the last thing you're doing. So you can do this with cold ingredients too very easily. Um, so you've had all this pre-prepared and here's how you just make this quickly now because all your stuff's in your fridge. You take an onion, take a little bit extra bacon fat in the fridge. You cook that, you just put a scoop of that into a pan, you cut up an onion. I also did this with butternut squash. This is good because it doesn't have a super strong flavor and adds a really good texture to it and it's an extra vegetable so you feel better about yourself. I did little slivers, like square slivers of butternut squash because it just doesn't take very long to cook that way. So you saute your onion for like a minute, throw in your butternut squash, and then as it's kind of getting, oh god, I did this with rib meat too because you can do this also with pre-cooked chicken, pre-cooked ground meat. I did this with some rib meat where I just took like three lengths of bone ribs, took the meat off that and like cut it up a little, cut, cut in little bits. Freaking delicious, man. And so, and then make sure you season all this. You add a little pinch of salt to bring out the flavor and everything and open up those flavor pores on your tongue. And then, so you have your, the last thing you add in is spinach. You take some spinach and you cut it up and there's one more vegetable to feel good about yourself. Do not put whole spinach in there because it'll be too big and it'll get annoying to eat. You want to cut it up so it breaks down a little bit easier when you scoop it out with a spoon. So you're lightly chopped spinach into your pot. It's the last thing you do after you have your meat and your onion and your butternut squash in there. The water from the spinach will cook off and you'll lose that because you don't want to put it in there. You don't want mac and cheese, that water in your mac and cheese, but it'll also deglaze the onion in the pot and get all that caramel and shit from there, from the bottom into your stuff. You then add a little bit of water, like a cup of water and a cup of bechamel sauce, depending on how saucy you want it. If you want it less saucy, um, you do like a quarter cup of both. I do for again, one little pie pan or what I call like a portion and a half, maybe. I do half a cup of my pre-made bechamel sauce and half a cup of hot water or water to quickly break it up and even the thickness out. And then you add in however much cheese you want, either half a cup of cheese if you want it super cheesy and then, or, or like a little cheesy or a cup of cheese. And this is about enough for two people at once, this portion I'm making. So once the cheese is the last thing you add in now and you have all your vegetables and stuff in there with your white sauce and your cheese is melting in there, maybe you sprinkle a little bit more salt in to make sure you bring the cheese out because the cheese will not automatically flavor your sauce. You need to throw a little bit of salt in there with the cheese to bring out that cheese flavor in your sauce. Cause mm -hmm. I don't know why the milk sauce eats your cheese flavor. And then mm -hmm. the last, oh yeah, so sorry. I know I just said the cheese is the last thing. There's like one more last thing. It's your starch and your macaroni. Now here's a cool thing with this too. If you want to go uber healthy, you can also do this with rice and quinoa. And all that happens differently is that it's less saucy and it's like just absorbs it more and it becomes like a rice bake. So like I was eating my quinoa and if you ever eaten like a polenta, like and it's like hard and like kind of like it's so malleable because you form it into whatever because it's so grainy. You know, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen, like, you know how you can form like, rice? I know that I do, but I just I don't. You know how you can, like, form rice or any kind of starch thing on a plate? Because it's, like, it has... Oh, it yeah, forms. yeah, okay, okay. So, essentially, it just... The quinoa forms from the milk sauce in there. So, you bake it, and then, like, you just take scoops of it, and it has just, like, that starch form, but it's such small pieces that it breaks off really easily. Mm -hmm. It was not my favorite, because it's quinoa, and it's... <sighs> who loves quinoa? Who picks quinoa when they can pick an actual, like... 
Yeah, if it's healthy, I get it. But who's like, oh, yeah, I would totally have quinoa over rice or noodles. Like, mm -hmm. go eat, go take a long walk off a short pier. <laughs> um, if you would willingly choose that, and it wasn't about health concerns. Because quinoa also has a terrible carbon footprint. Um, but you can do it with alternate starches at the point of this, too. So you add your alternate starch, you add your starch in last. So you almost don't even want to call it a mac and cheese. You can call it a starch and cheese. Or car carbs and cheese, because essentially that's what it is. You put it into a baked grease pan, and again, with butter on the edges of it will prevent it from sticking. You bake it in the oven at 350. Now, if you want to, you put some breadcrumbs on top of there. And you do this, we talked last episode, just you melt a little bit of butter, toss your breadcrumbs in that, that'll prevent them from burning, and then smear that on top of the mac and cheese so it's like perfectly coated. Um, and it just adds like another texture in there too. Bake it at 350 for like 15-20 you know, minutes. You look in the oven, you want to see it bubbling because you'll see like the bechamel sauce bubbling because essentially it's like just simmering inside the oven in this pan in the sauce. And as it does this, this carbs, as you do these, the noodles or the rice or whatever you bake it with is absorbing that bechamel sauce too as well. So when you pull it out of the oven and you let it sit for 5 or 10 minutes or whatever to cool down, you take a scoop of it out, the sauce is like even down in consistency. And again... You can do this with less sauce, but it'll be, like, less... It'll obviously not have as much of that goo thing. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to get, like, the uber-goo cheese, you got to throw a crap ton of cheese in there. Because what gives it that stringy goo-flinging is the amount of cheese. So, like, mind you, what I'm doing is, like, I'm calling it a budget cheese. You, it's measure, like, you measure the cheese with your heart. Yeah, with... If you if your heart is and rasping for air after every <laughs> bite you're taking, because it's, like... <laughs> from the uh, cholesterol filling your lungs, and you know you have a good, a good amount of cheese in there. You want your heart <laughs> squealing, essentially. Um, but yeah, so it's like the gooiness of it will depend on how much sauce you have in there baking with it, but also more importantly, how much cheese you put in there. So like, if you want like string goo in there, do two cups of cheese for that portion I told you. But what I'm talking about is for like a budget, like half a cup of cheese of grated cheese. Yeah. It's not that bad. Like half a cup of grated cheese is like a quarter little thing. Like it's yeah. not, it's a good even amount. And again, like do it for two people, do a full cup. Um... But I just want to say it's really versatile because any vegetable that you can pre-cook and you want to just make sure the water's out of it because if you cook off the water inside of your mac and cheese, that will kind of make it messy. And I was going to say quickly, as the pitfall of my bacon fat roux, it'll separate a little bit once you bake it. It's not bad. It's not overly greasy, but it's a pitfall of it. Oh, I was I was just going to say that, um, and I don't know why we didn't do this, but we should we should post the recipes. Yeah, we should. I was just like, I just, it's like, one, honestly, one of the reasons I haven't is because it's one less thing for me to type out because oh, it's like, oh, it's laziness. Okay, we're going to post the recipe. Okay, we'll Look post. out for that if you're interested. I'm down. I thought that you're the one of a monetization, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I like, my thought of it was Sorry, like, I like money. No, you know what? Well, I know I'm a pirate. I like money too. But you know, what my thought of it was it was my mine was much more malicious. Mine was Machiavellian. Mine was like, no, you have to listen to the podcast. If you want the recipe to get us those listens? Ha 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 ha! But that way, you don't just get the recipe and then don't listen to the podcast. Ha 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 I'm kidding. Okay, but it's a lot harder for someone to like. They're gonna like what? Listen I know. To it I'm making. Write it down I know. I know. I'm making a joke. I'm making a joke. I'm being really. Literally, it was about laziness. It was about this. Like, I don't want to type it up. It's literally oh. that's it. 
I do all the I'm editing, sorry, man. Say that. I will... Like you can do that when you do the editing. <laughs> I have a, I have a great, I'm really great at typing. I'll do it. It's okay, fine. Okay, do it because I, you, you've seen me. I can't type. I do the, oh, I caveman okay. type with one finger, two fingers, like a Neanderthal, not drags his knuckles. Oh my gosh. I just, I'm not good at typing. I've never been good at it. I got like seventy words per minute. Dope. You should be a secretary. No. <laughs> Come on, you get a card on Secretary's Day. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I am so happy you're my quartermaster instead, though. It's a much more suitable job. You keep me keep me hip with the kids and all that. Um, any final thoughts coming bearing all this? We'll post. I'll give you the recipes, and you can type them up. I'd appreciate that if you typed up the recipes. That would because I'm I'm all for freedom of sharing inf of information. It was literally a time consumption. This is thing. clearly the end of the episode. We're losing the thread. No, I lose the thread multiple times. One of my <laughs> defining things of character is I tangent. We're just worse. really going, we're really spiraling down now. No, I think it's better than the last episode. We have more of an idea of what we're doing. Not kind of our summer special, which is awesome. But Final thoughts? Thanks for listening, as always. Thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Anyone that gives us our time, please contact us. Tell us what you think about... Feedback is appreciated. The Oak Crisis, Human Abduction, or Brownies. It's a wide array of topics we will respond to. Um, thank you for... Yeah, thank you for I will not that. respond to any questions about ducks, okay? Just gotta make that really clear right now. Yeah, those have been Don't really ask flooding. me any questions about ducks. Yeah, that's really been flooding in a lot, too. Um, for some reason, all these questions about ducks. Nothing about the actual episode. I don't know anything about ducks. I can't. I know things about Goose. I like the I, I like Untitled Goose Game. It was fun. <laughs> um, thank you for stopping by and sailing with us. Be well. Oh, and don't forget, don't be afraid. Be aware. Boom shakalaka. <laughs> so sit down, sit down, sit down. In a couple of fights, you were nearly blinded. Yelling at the wind won't do much good. Thanks again to anyone who listened to our podcast today. If you'd like to know more about what we talked about, sources are in the description. And if you'd like to contact us, ask questions, or give feedback or anything, you can email us at canadianpiratecast at gmail.com or follow Beckham Kid on Facebook and Beckham underscore Kid on Instagram. We also have a Facebook page for Canadian Pirate Cast. We appreciate anyone taking the time to talk to us, and that's all in the description. Bye!